What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I'm your host, Jack Vita, uh, back here in action on a Friday, April 28, 2023. Uh, greetings to those who are joining us live right now on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. If you would like to catch us the next time we go live, make sure you follow me at Jack Vita Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to the Jack Vita Show wherever it is that you get your podcast. So, for those who listen to this show regularly, you know that we had about six, seven weeks where we did not put out any content. And that was because I was following this guy around at spring training. We had a great time out there in Arizona. The uh, legendary USA Today baseball writer, Bob Nightingale, joins us, returns to the show. How are you doing, Bob? Yeah, doing great. Good to see you, Jack. It's great to see you. As I mentioned, we had a really fun time out at spring training. I was uh, blessed to get to spend a lot of time with you. And there was one day, I thought this is a funny kind of story for the podcast, where I was I was sort of following you around. We were at White Sox camp, and um, it was cold. We had, like, at the start of the spring, it was, it was much cooler than it ended up being. Um, and from what I had heard, cold for Arizona standards. So I was wearing a leather jacket. And I didn't realize that Bob was also going to be wearing a leather jacket. So I was kind of following him around. We're both wearing leather jackets. And we walked down this path. And um, it's that path to go from the White Sox uh, spring training field to their backfields, where a lot of players warm up and get some work in and stuff like that, take BP. So we're walking down this path. And there are a lot of fans that are hanging out there. They want autographs. They want pictures with their favorite players and a couple, someone, I think Bob, there was someone that you actually knew that recognized you, right. And said, hi. Yeah. I think when I played my uh, Dodger days, we used to cover the Dodgers. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Good guy. A long time Dodger fan. I think they're, yeah. The wise actually played the Dodgers that day. Yeah. So no, I think it was the Reds, but the, Do they share the complex with the Dodgers. So okay. that's why he's here. But anyway, so Bob gets, he has a friend who stops and says hi. And then after that, he's got a couple guys, grown men wanting to take pictures with him. Bob, I'm a big fan. Can I get a picture? And so that was cool. And then we keep walking. And I just, the reason why I think this is a funny story is we got the leather jackets on and some guy yells, hey guys, the Harley Davidson convention is next weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, feel that's the spring train's cool for <laughs> like that. <laughs> but um, man, how'd you like spring training this year, Bob? Well, you said it's cold, Jack. It was coldest spring I've ever been part of. It really was uh, very, uh, very cold for uh, Arizona. Florida was Florida was you know perfect weather, uh, but yeah, it was fun. I mean, the WBC uh, is going to happen again in three years. You know that breaks up the monotony. But you know it was finally a normal spring. Uh, first normal spring since 2019 because of the COVID and, you know, restrictions and, uh, you know, players are able to report on time. So, yeah, there was a lot more normalcy. Uh, you know, it, it felt that way, even, even with the WBC, which kind of shakes things up. Yeah, it must have been great for you guys to get back. I mean, and the fans, too, just to, to be able to, even if you're not at spring training, watching games where, everyone's there last year we had a very short spring i mean i was out in florida up until like mid-march and they hadn't started spring training at that point because of the lockout and then 2021 i was in florida during spring training but it was such limited fans that it was a lot more expensive to go to a game than normal and then in 2020 of course we had COVID just shut down and we didn't finish our spring training. So for you guys, it was great. You get to get back to the rhythm of it. For me, I was just like a kid in a candy shop. This is my first time as a media member at spring training. And man, that was a, a great time. A lot of fun memories, especially that World Baseball Classic game that we were at, the, the first exhibition game where we were down on the field and everyone was around. And I'm looking at you, Bob, and you're just talking to Ken Griffey Jr. just very casually and uh, there's a part of me inside that's like, that's Ken Griffey Jr. This is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, a, uh, it was cool. The whole coaching staff was former players and, you know, managers like, a, you know, a Jerry Emanuel, things like that. Uh, obviously, a, uh, 
you know, a lot of former players on there, you know, whether it was a, you know, a Brian McCann, a, a Griffey, and Andy Pettit. So, yeah, it's a, uh, next one will be about in three years from now. But players love it. It shakes up, you know, spring training is so long, it shakes up the monotony of it. And the funny part is when these guys are done with the WBC, you know, it's so hard for them to go back to spring training because then they're bored out of their minds. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I could totally see that. They get they get to play some meaningful games. They get to hang out with a bunch of other guys that they don't normally get to spend as much time with. And yeah, and then you mentioned the the coaching staff. DeRosa, I thought was awesome to talk to because he's a member of the media. So he was great at talking to the media. Yeah, very polished. I mean, he was great talking to me as a player. Uh, obviously, he's hoping to become a manager one day. Uh, you know, we'll see. He's never, you know, managing the minor leagues or anything like that, or never been a coach. So he'd probably have to be a coach first, I would think. But he makes good money with the Major League Baseball Network. Uh, so you'd probably have to take a little bit of a step back, you know, if he wants to become a manager. So, but he certainly interviewed for a few spots. Uh, dealing with the media would be the least of his concerns. David Ross, no previous coaching experience. I don't think Aaron Boone had any previous coaching experience either. So Aaron Boone made that move over from media to manager. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I'm just happy for obviously, you know, Lou Pinella back in the day. Dusty, uh, no, Dusty Baker was a hitting coach, but Pinella did the same thing. So a little bit of a rough transition. Uh, you know, I think for David Ross's point, probably more rough because he was a he was a cup. So he was managing the same guys that used to uh, you know be teammates with. You know, now most of those guys, obviously, you know, maybe all of them are, are gone. Uh, but, yeah, it can be a, uh, a tough just to all of a sudden be everybody's friend. And all, now you're everybody's boss. So, Bob, I know that as much as you love baseball, baseball isn't your entire life. You have some other interests. So I'm curious to know, were you paying any attention to the NFL draft last night? That was. Uh the kid from uh, Kentucky, the quarterback, man, it reminded me of, of uh, Mike Trout. Mike Trout was one of the very few people who showed up for the draft in uh, Secaucus, New Jersey, because his, you know, his family's uh, you know close by in the uh, in the Philadelphia area. And yeah, he was out there till the twenty sixth pick in the first round. And I think everybody kept feeling sorry for him. Like, man, I hope someone finally drafts this kid. So maybe the same <laughs> thing will happen to the uh, Kentucky quarterback. Yeah, Will Levis out of Kentucky uh, fell in the – he didn't get picked in the first round, and that's tough. Uh, but Mike Trout was – I'm glad you mentioned that story because that was the first draft that they ever televised. It was the first year of MLB Network in 2009, and he was the only guy, the only player that attended the draft. He was there by himself, and everyone just kept passing on him. But it turned out pretty well for him. Yeah, so basically, you know, maybe same thing will happen to this kid too. It's a <laughs> – it's rough sitting there, sitting there by yourself, especially seeing everybody else get drafted and smiling and hugging the commissioner and all that. So, Bob, uh, if, we'll see. If people want to comment as they watch this, they can send questions or comments. We have a comment here from Justin Gustafson, and he says, tell Bob to take it easy on the White Sox. It's tough out here right now. <laughs> it is tough. You know, it's like – you know, saw them during the year, during the uh, spring. There was a lot of optimism. Was with them in Houston for the opening series, uh, but man, it's been it's been rough. I mean, the only team with worse record is Oakland A's. So no one saw this coming. Obviously, the schedule uh, eases up in May. They're in the right division, but I uh, yeah, no one you know nobody wants to see its team go through a, a start like this. Or you're not only losing, you're just getting obliterated at times. Third worst record, actually. Kansas City is also very bad this year. But, yeah. Right, Jerry. Yeah, I think the A's are the ones more more losses. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Oakland, one. Kansas City, two. White Sox, three. Yeah. So, yeah. This is a – and you know what? And we're going to be talking a lot today about some of the early season surprises and disappointments and – I'm curious. I'll be curious to hear what you have to say, Bob. But my general feeling for most of these is it's April. As long as you don't lose the division in April, you can be okay. Like I don't think St. Louis. We'll talk St. Louis in a little bit. I'm sure. I'm not. I'm like I'm not at the panic button part with St. Louis. Like it's a long season. They've got time. 
I'm at the panic button part, though, with the White Sox. I mean, this is a team that's 12 games below 500. And again, you can't win a division in April, but you can lose a division in April. And granted, Minnesota's not running away with it. They're 15 and 11. They're off to a good start. But I have serious, serious concerns with this White Sox team. Are you at that point, too, or are you a little more patient? No, I mean, in the right division. I mean, you want to be in the NL Central or AL Central, or you'd already be buried. Uh, but, yeah, just I don't I really like the makeup of the club. Uh, you know, it's the same thing, you know, as we saw a, a year ago. Everyone wanted to blame Tony La Russa last year. Well, guess what? It wasn't Tony La Russa's fault. Uh, the worst, you know, at least La Russa's team, there are 500. You know, these guys aren't even close to 500. So at some point, the players have to look at themselves in the mirror. Uh, it's getting embarrassing out there. And now you're seeing the pitching is just falling apart. And I think just that vibe, even a, a pitcher as great as Dylan Cease, you can tell it's affecting him too. But just when you get that, you know, that loser uh, attitude in there, it's tough to shake. Uh, I know they don't want to rebuild. I mean, they just rebuilt that thing. To have the window open for only, you know, a year, year and a half, that's embarrassing. Yeah, the window's closing. I think the window is closing right now. And that's something that I would not have believed two years ago when we were coming into 2021. It seemed like you're looking at a team that could be really good for five, six years, have opportunities to take steps progressively each season. And we're at the point now where, I mean, coming into this year, I had them finishing below 500, 500 at best. I don't, where did you have them projected, Bob? How'd you expect them to do? Yeah, I think that third in the division, you know, right around a 500 club. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they had the great uh, 2021 season, won the division, ran up against a great Astros team, obviously. Uh, you know, last year was a disaster. They kept waiting for them to turn it on. Never happened. And then, uh, you know, this year they preached, you know, and it's going to change everything else, new manager, new coaching staff. You know, it's worse than ever. You know, you, know, you wonder – you know, maybe they should have uh, hired Ozzy again to shake things up, uh, to, you know, get these, put these players on notice and everything else. But, you know, look up and down, you know, everybody's just underachieving. Uh, you know, it's not like, oh, these guys are all having all-star seasons and, you know, they're still losing. You know, no one's, you know, no one's even close to a, having an all-star type of season. Yeah. And I, I had a lot of conversations so we had kind of a similar outlook on them coming into the year. And I had a lot of conversations with White Sox fans who are very optimistic. And I asked, why are you optimistic? Why do you think this team's going to be different? And they said, new manager. And the other thing they said was, we'll be healthy. You don't know if you're going to be healthy. And at some point you have to say, you know, Aloy Jimenez misses a lot of games. Tim Anderson misses a lot of games. They have injury prone players. The team is still not a very good defensive team. They've got several DHs. Like, where are you going to play Gavin Sheets? Where are you going to play um, Jake Berger? Or And then, you know, Vaughn comes over. He moves over first base. So that makes him a little bit better because now Vaughn isn't in the outfield. But you lose Jose Abreu and you don't really replace him. You get Benintendi. That's a really nice player. I thought they should have shaken things up much, much more after last season because the, the window is closing. Yeah, they believe this team want to give them a, you know, another chance. Reminds you of the Philadelphia Phillies, but at least the Phillies were, you know, winning for like five, six years. You know, they kept, they kept that team a little too long. Same thing here. It's all about now. I mean, I mean who, you, who do you have with trade value? You got Tim Anderson's got value. Dylan Cease has got value. You know, then what do you have? Uh, guys don't have value. Uh, you know, Lowe Hemenis is, you know, becoming just a, a DH. Uh, just, you know, everywhere around the diamond, it's just underachieving players. Uh, you know, it's a, uh, I don't know where you go. You know, usually when you rebuild, you got pieces where people want. You know, I don't see him training Dylan Cease. Yeah, I don't, not sure they trade Tim Anderson either. So you're not going to gain anything from anybody. Yeah. It, it's, I, I feel bad for the Sox fans listening to this. This is, not stuff that they want to hear. This is not how they were hoping this would go. But I think it's important that a lot of people like to fans like to put blame on the manager. The manager can only do so much with the pieces that he has. And 
I mean, it's going to be fu- well, not funny, but it's going to be ironic if this team, if this window is closing, if the White Sox finish below 500 this year and they find themselves in a rebuild or just kind of stuck over the next few years, the one manager that would have won a division title since Ozzie Guillen, this is what their fifth different manager since Ozzie. They had Robin Ventura, Rick Renteria, Tony Larusa, Pedro Grafal. So that's four. Only one is Tony Larusa, the guy that some fans wanted to run out of town. Yeah, I mean you're right. I mean 2021 was a very good team. It was Tony Larusa's team, and then because they uh, underachieved last year, you know, it was, oh, it was a whole disaster. One year was a disaster. The other year was good. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, extenuating circumstances, too, with Tony LaRusso's health. Obviously, he wasn't healthy last year. Uh, but, yeah, a manager's not stepping the pitcher's mound. He's not going to the plate. He's not playing any defense. So, you got to look yourselves in the mirror. Uh, you know, the guys should be embarrassed the way they're playing. Uh, you know, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So, uh, you know, how can you keep blaming the manager when you're the one performing? So, right. it's been a... Uh, been a, been a disaster. I mean, everybody kept waiting for Lucas Giolito. Oh, he's going to be a Cy Young contender. I mean, he's gone way backwards. The bullpen's been a mess. So you go on and on. The one manager that I see taking the most heat on Twitter, I'm curious, actually, if you notice this. Is there someone that you come to that comes to mind for you? Well, I mean, every time a team's, you know, underperforming, it's a manager. So, I mean, Pedro Grafal has taken as much, you know, heat as anybody. Uh, you know, KC has taken a step backwards as well. Obviously, people always jump on uh, San Francisco with, with Kapler. So, uh, it just depends. A lot of times, too, it's, a, it's a, the big market teams. You know, whether, you know, Philadelphia has underperformed. So, Robbie Thompson gets the heat. You know, Yankees, you know, we'll, we'll see if they make the playoffs, Aaron Boone. So, yeah, it's always usually – it's usually the bigger market teams. You know, they uh, scuffle. That manager's more on the hot seat than anybody. So the one that I keep seeing on Twitter is someone you haven't mentioned, and it's weird. I've noticed him trending several times this year, is Phil Nevin with the Los Angeles Angels. The Angels are two games above five hundred. I don't understand really – like, again, it's a similar thing where you had Brad Ausmus, you had Joe Madden, now you've got Phil Nevin, and Nevin's managing on a one-year contract. So to me, I just, I don't know, like, where this outrage is. Maybe it's just the internet culture. People have to be mad all the time and blame somebody. But the Angels are two games above 500. they They're they're playing okay. Like, <laughs> maybe you haven't noticed any of that. But, I mean, I think, I think Phil Nevin's doing the best job he can. Yeah, Nevin's been fine. I haven't seen that uh, actually with the, uh, you know, the negativity toward Nevin. Uh, you know, it's I, only on Twitter. Yeah, it's it's a better it's a better team has had been in years. They're going to hang in, hang around. They'll be in the playoff hunt all season long. So no, I think I feel Phil Nevin's been just fine. Yeah, I agree. I think he's done a fairly good job, and especially when you're managing on a one year contract, like no manager wants to be in that position. But I think he's doing as good a job as he could um, in that situation. So anyway, the White Sox are, I mean, are you, what's your, do you think White Sox are out? Are they close to being out? Where are you, where do you think? Is it going to get any better with this team? Well, I think they're close to being out. They're not out. I mean, we, you know, we, we've given up on way too many teams in the past. <laughs> uh, you know, Washington Nationals are 19 and 31 in 2019. They were writing a World Series uh, parade in, uh, in, in November that year. So, particularly, it's a weak division. Uh, you know, in, in the American League, there's not that many, you know, great teams. I mean, you got you got the Rays, you got the Blue Jays. Uh, you know, there could be another another spot opening up. You know, Houston Astros are great. But, you know, you sneak in, anything can happen. Uh, probably their best bet, you know, is winning the division. You know, luckily that Cleveland Guardians and the favorite in the division, uh, they're kind of scuffling along too. So you and I both picked the Guardians to win the American League this year. And I think we also both picked them to win the World Series. What have you seen from them so far? Uh, are you concerned with this club? Personally, I'm not quite yet because they've been their pitching staff has taken some injuries. But what what are your what are your thoughts on where the Guardians are? They're 12 and 13, only two and a half games out though in that division. 
But they need some offense. You know, Josh Bell has not been the answer. Need some more offense. You've had some injuries to the rotation. Tristan McKenzie was a big loss. Uh, but, yeah, it's pretty much just got to get some more offensive firepower. They have so many prospects, so maybe they go get some help. At the trade deadline, you know, I'm not sure who's going to be out there. It's going to be a weak market. But a, uh, but I, I think, you know, they got to go get another bat at some point just to help out that pitching staff. Yeah, probably. I think some of these guys will eventually come around. It's It's early in the season. It's cold outside. The other thing that we mentioned is they've had they've lost Savali, they've lost McKenzie, so two of their reliable pitchers. However, what the the good thing is is it's giving opportunities to some of these young arms. Logan Allen just got brought up. Uh, who's the guy? Tanner Bibby. He pitched the other day. Yeah, he's he, got he, up. Both those guys look really good, so they'll get some they'll get some run here over the next couple of weeks, most likely. Yeah, they can produce pitching, and they've done a great job producing pitching. Offensively, it's a different story. But, yeah, so maybe come trade deadline if there's a nice bat out there. You know, they can move with those top prospects and get some help. Yeah, they could do that. I was thinking about how they've continually churned out pitchers, as you mentioned. So they've traded Kluber. They traded Clevenger. They traded, they traded Bauer, and they just kept bringing up more guys to replace them. So it would be interesting to see – if they would do something like that and move one of their starting pitchers, if they're a few guys in their farm system that they really like to create room for them and capitalize on the trade value that one of those starter, starting pitchers has right now. Yeah, especially, you know, everybody's looking for young pitching. If they get a young, controllable hitter, you know, why not? You know, sometimes you got to do that. You know, it's like you know, the Marlins traded Zach Gallon for Jazz Chisholm. You know, they knew that Gallon would be good. Maybe not. they don't think they realize you'd be this good, but yeah, they need offensive help. So sometimes you got to, uh, you know, you got to give up something to, uh, you know, get help. It's like the, uh, you know, the big trade with the, um, you know, Marsh uh, uh, when they, tra- you know, got the catcher from uh, Philadelphia. Uh, they got Marsh from the Angels. Oh yeah, Logan yeah. Ohapi. Yeah, worked out well for both. You know, Ohapi got hurt, but that trade worked out well for both sides. Exactly what both sides needed. Brandon Marsh has been setting the world on fire. I think he's batting 350. He's been great so far, and he plays great defense. Yeah, exactly what he needed. And, you know, Ohop wasn't going to be playing catcher in, in, in uh, Philadelphia. So, uh, you know, Hop wasn't going to be taking Mike Trout's uh, – Marsh wasn't going to take Mike Trout's spot. So, yeah, no, it was, it was a perfect trade. Yeah, the Angels have a handful of outfielders too. Um Anyway, so going back to what we were just talking about, Jazz, or Jazz Chisholm for Zach Gallen. Zach Gallen, 28 consecutive scoreless innings. Last year, he set a franchise record, 43 and a third, I think is what he reached, and he surpassed Brandon Webb. Is this guy emerging just as, I mean, are, are we looking at a guy who's maybe the best pitcher in baseball? Possibly, uh, at least uh, National League. Uh, he was my pick for the Cy Young Award. Mm. People, people don't know nice about this kid. Uh, but yeah, great competitor. Just knows how to pitch. You know, not overwhelm. You know, not throwing hard mile or fastballs or anything like that. But just a very smart guy. Great competitor, and uh, he's been dominant. I think I still think he leads the uh, major leagues in strikeouts as well. You mentioned something else that I found very interesting because. Recently, uh, I mean, you, you're at a lot of Arizona Diamondbacks games. And so you saw the Padres come into town a week ago with Tatis making his return. You wrote something, however, that I found was very interesting in your Nightingale notebook over the weekend about the growing concern for Juan Soto. Yeah, he's not been the same Juan Soto as I got for the Washington Nationals. Still struggling, still seems uncomfortable. Uh, you know, hitting right around a buck 90, uh, you know, looking for walks instead of looking for hits, not, not driving the ball. So there's a concern. I mean, if this keeps up, you know, I have no choice but to move him in the, in the off season. They're certainly not going to sign him to an extension, uh, certainly not for over $400 million. Uh, just has not been the guy they sign up for. Uh, you know, some guys never get comfortable after leaving the, their first place. You see that a lot of times. Uh, from uh, Tampa, you know, that first trade can be tough, but it shouldn't be 
continuing as long as it has. So he could potentially be moved after this season if he doesn't pick it up. Yeah, he's a free agent. You might as well get something out of it. If they're convinced, like, okay, it's not going to work out here, uh, you might as well get something for him. You're not going to get as much as you gave up for him. But obviously, been a big disappointment. And they're planning to be players for Shohei Otani. So if they're going to put that Otani contract on their books, they're not going to pick up Soto's $400 million or whatever he's looking for. No, we already got two guys, two guys back over three hundred million dollars anyway. And uh, Tatis and Machado, uh, you know, almost three guys. We throw in Alexander Bogarts. So and, you know, I don't care if you're Yankees or Dodgers, you can only take on so many contracts like that. So yeah, it'd be a different story if Soto was you know performing like you had hoped. Uh, you know, it's one thing to take walks, but you know if you if you get a base of walk, you better be still second or you know moving around. Don't just clog the base pass. <laughs> so, you know, walks aren't really walks aren't really helping them. Uh, they they need a run producer. How do you think Tatis has looked in right field so far? Okay, not great, but okay. Uh, he's a uh, you know learning on the job. He's made some shaky plays. He's made some fantastic plays. Certainly a very athletic guy. So you know, I don't, you know, I know the Padres in spring training said this guy's got a chance to win the. Uh, uh, Gold Glove Award, you know, a little too early for that. But certainly I, I think he'll be able to handle it at some point. How about Jazz Chisholm in center field? Uh, it has not worked out. You know, very shaky. The same thing. It's a learning thing. We'll see how it goes. But you just can't throw a guy in a new position expect him to uh, certainly adapt to it. It's just too too tough of a transition. So, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of growing pains there. Yeah, I think he's been humbled a little bit because he's he had said, I can play center field. Yeah, no problem. I, I've never played it before, but yeah, it should be fine. And, you know, it's 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 difficult to make that switch from infield to outfield, especially I mean, you, if you haven't done it before. Like those fly balls that you're seeing in the infield are coming to you at a very different angle than you're seeing in the outfield. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just just different. You just can't throw a guy. Even like, uh, Kyle Schwarber was talking about how much he struggled at first base when he was with the you know, first base, not center field, with the Boston Red Sox. It's just you know, I don't care how good you are uh, athletically. Yeah, that's a that's a tough position to uh, learn. And they uh, he's made a lot of mistakes out there. You know, that, that's the thing with the Marlins. They have so many people out of position. Uh, you know, but I want to say five or six guys are out of position on, on that team. And, it, you know, it, it can drive a uh, starting pitchers and relief pitchers crazy. You mentioned Kyle Schwarber. That brings me back to Moneyball. Uh, it's not that hard to play first base, Scott. Tell them, Wash. It's incredibly hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a tough position. I mean, you're, you know, right in the middle of uh, just about every play. And they, uh, but yeah, I mean, you got to, Know all the nuances and stuff in first base. It's a, you know, it's not DH. It's a, it's a, uh, a, a tough position playing first base. So you know, particularly uh, now you don't have a, you know you don't have help with no shifts. So uh, it, it's a uh, you know every, every position in diamond is tough, particularly first base. It's been a full four weeks since opening day. What has surprised you the most through the first four weeks of the season? Uh, you know, team-wise by Pittsburgh Pirates. I, I know they got to, you know, great starts before. But just you know, this time, you say, you know what, it's uh, it, it's real enough, the athletic enough team, they're running wild, uh, that they could be a contender. I want to see in a year. I still don't think they can win the NL Central this year. But they probably, uh, you know, raise your eyebrows more than more than anybody. Uh, they got to be the biggest surprise Uh you know, of all the baseball so far. I had them in third place coming into the season. I thought they'd finish behind St. Louis and Milwaukee. The Cubs are playing better than I expected them to play. Um, but yeah, I mean, no, no one, I did not think Pittsburgh would be 18 and eight, which is, I think this is the, they have, yeah, they have the best record in the national league for the first month. Nobody was expecting that. No. I don't. Yeah. Go ahead. No, nobody was. I mean, it was the team was coming on the rise, but I think if you said, you know, well, they'll play 500 first month, 
okay, that one makes sense, particularly losing O'Neill Cruz. So it, it's been a uh, a very pleasant surprise. They're a fun team to watch. I've got my uh, my pirate shirt on, and I've got a lot of these Under Armour baseball shirts. So if a team's playing well, maybe I'll throw that shirt on. And but today I felt like the right day to talk some pirates, and they've just been. It's great to see baseball resurrected in a way in Pittsburgh. And look, it's only been a month. I don't think they're going to win this division, but I do think they can hang in there, maybe be somewhere in that 80 to 85 wins this year. Is that crazy? Yeah, they win 85 wins. I mean, that's a great, great season. I mean, 80 is a good season, but 85 would be a spectacular season. Uh, so, no, yeah, fun team to watch. And, uh, you know, you're the right division, too. No one has a runaway payroll. Uh, everybody's payroll, you know, is semi the same. Uh, yeah, so it's a uh, – a fun team, a fun team to be around. Milwaukee's a fun team to be around. Should be a fun race, particularly the Cardinals scuffing like they have. Certainly, yeah. And I think that my my big concern kind of would be in the grand scheme of things, the long term is maybe the pitching might not be that strong, but their pitching has been very like I think everyone's been exceeding expectations. Keller's a really good pitcher. Oviedo and Contreras have both impressed those guys. We're going to, they'll be guys to watch, but like Vince Velasquez has looked amazing. That's probably been the most surprising part. Yeah. Very good pitcher. And I, uh, I'm sure, you know, it seems like Philadelphia said, Oh man, we should have, you know, got this guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's been a uh, terrific. So yeah, they've got some great, great pitching, just playing good sound baseball. And it's a you know, cool story. Yeah. Uh, uh, Andrew McCutcheon back too. McCutcheon is back. He's such a, someone said this recently on Twitter. It's like, is he the most universally loved player in baseball by the fans? He might be. Yeah. I don't know if I'll go that far, but yeah, certainly <laughs> very well respected among his peers and fans. I mean, everybody jumps in the bandwagon. So you're looking for, you know, the guys who are pretty all-stars, but a uh, very, very well respected player in the game. Yeah. So I think that team it's, they're just a fun watch. Even if they don't end up finishing above 500, they're entertaining. They have a good, they seem to have a really fun uh, culture with that team. Like I love the the sword celebration that they're doing now when they hit a home run. Like they have a good mix of some veteran players like Carlos Santana and G-Man Choi coming in. And then some of these young players like Jack Sawinski, who was hot last week. Um, but how about the great story, maybe the best story of the week, Drew Magi. Is it Magi or Maggi? How do I say his last name? I'm not even sure. I know the yeah, <laughs> I think they, yeah, they always uh, call him Maggi. Maggi. Drew Maggi. Yeah. 13 <laughs> years in minor league baseball, over a thousand. I think he played like 1,500 minor league games. Gets brought up. He pinch hits um, for Kutch in the DH spot when they're blowing up the Dodgers on Wednesday night. Huge, huge standing ovation great moment he ended up striking out they talked to him after the game they mic'd him up he was talking over the loudspeakers but just an awesome story and a great story of a guy who didn't give up and just was determined 33 years old gets up to the show gets that opportunity yeah i mean to you know those minor leagues don't make much money don't make any money a lot of them and uh just add that perseverance enjoy the game that much so no matter what happens, he can always say, hey, I played the major leagues. I'll be in the baseball encyclopedia. So, no, great, great moment for him. Great moment for all minor league ball, ball players. Say, so, you know what, I'm not going to give up. If I can see he did, did it, I'm going to keep going. So you mentioned this NL Central. Do we think the Cubs are going to be in the mix all season long? I think they can certainly hang around. I mean, it's like, you know, division is very winnable. Uh, you know, a little bit like the Pirates, you're probably thinking they're one year away. I think realistically, you know, if they have a great season, it's 85-win season. It's not a 90-win season. Uh, they're still a little bit short. But, you know, when you see a team like the Cardinals scuffling like they are, it kind of opens that door a little bit. But I, I think they're one year away. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know how they get better from this year to next year because they, they don't seem like – like the thing that's interesting to me is by extending Hap and having Suzuki and now Bellinger's only on one year contract, but I just don't see opportunities for their top prospects to come up and play where they've had a really rich 
outfield in in the minor leagues with Brennan Davis, Pete Crow Armstrong. Um, and now some of those guys, PCA, he probably isn't going to come up this year, but Brennan Davis could come up this year. And Christopher Morrell was a guy last year who made an impact in, you know, second half of last season. I think he got brought up in May. I just don't really see them developing those young players. So I don't really see how they are going to continue to improve. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, a lot of guys are playing well right now. We'll see how long it lasts. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, then in the uh, off season, well, they got to keep Stroman. I think Stroman would probably opt out, you know, the way he's, yeah. uh, you know, you got to get some more pitching in there. And, you know, they got prospects to trade too. So I would think they'd be a legitimate contender a year from now. Okay. Whatever they get this year is a, uh, you know, kind of gravy because they, uh, you know, I don't think anybody expect them to even be 500. And I think, you know, I think they're at least a 500 team. And like I said, if they win 85 wins, I think it's a great season. If you win 85 games, you're going to be the hunt all year. All right. Well, we'll see. I'm still kind of, I want to see a little more from this team before I buy in, but I have been impressed with what I've seen over the first month, uh, especially from Bellinger. I mean, Bellinger looks like an all-star caliber player once again. Yeah, we'll see. Early for him, uh, I think he got you know psyched up. Obviously, playing the Dodgers, you know, six, seven times. Uh, you know, <laughs> the reason I wonder about the Bellingers, I mean, the Dodgers had him for all those years. They got all the money in the world. They didn't think he could do it. If they did. They would have kept him. They wouldn't have uh, grabbed a you know a Jason Hayward. So they could have kept <laughs> Bellinger for about sixteen, seventeen million dollars. Decided not to do it. So yeah, we'll we'll see. I think it'd be. I mean, he made the all-star team. It'd be one of the uh, great comeback stories uh, in the National League. So St. Louis Cardinals, this has been maybe the most surprised. I'd probably say this is the most surprising thing aside from maybe. So maybe the positive one would be Pittsburgh and then the negative one would be St. Louis because St. Louis entered this season as favorites to repeat as NL Central champs, collectively picked by most people, maybe some people had the Brewers, but it, it honestly felt like a lot of people were kind of low on the Brewers because I think, I don't know, for whatever reason, they missed the playoffs last year. Um, but St. Louis is in last place in the NL Central. They're 10 and 16. They just lost three of four to San Francisco Giants, and their pitching has really not looked good. Their bullpen hasn't looked good. Their starting pitchers haven't looked good. What do you, where do you think this goes? Oh, and they also just sent down Jordan Walker, and that was somewhat of a surprising move, it seemed. Well, yeah, just uh, I thought there were slight favorites. I didn't buy into that there were going to be heavy favorites. I worried about that pitching. <clears throat> you know, just a lot of question marks. I thought the key was Jack Flaherty. He's been okay. I think they need him to be the Flaherty of old. Uh, obviously, Wayne Wright's been hurt the whole time. So, you know, that's, uh, that's hurt them as well. Michaelis got off to a slow start. Uh, you know, no one's really taken off. I mean, Goldsmith's been doing his thing. arenado has been fine. Uh, you know, New Bar has just been okay. So, yeah, just a lot of things haven't, haven't clicked. Uh, but, yeah, you worry, you worry about that pitching staff. I think Jordan Walker, they just want him to hit for some power. It's like, okay, you know, you're better than a singles hitter. Uh, we need you to drive the ball. And also they have too many outfielders. It's like, you know, we got to, uh, we can't just put shuffle guys in and out. We got to give them roles. And I think a, uh, this is a chance to give guys playing time and say, you know what, there's your opportunity to run with it. If not, we'll bring Walker back up and, and you're out. Yeah, and – in addition to the pitching stuff, I mean, or going back to what you're talking about with Jordan Walker, they do have a lot of outfielders. Um, and I do think that those bats will eventually get going. I will say there's a, it's a talented lineup. There's a lot of good players there. Jordan Montgomery pitched really well up until, I don't know if you were at, Oh no, that game was at Bush stadium, but he just got shelled. So that's something that sometimes happens with these early ERAs is, you could have three great outings or three really good outings, and then the fourth one is just a terrible outing, and then your ERA is really inflated, and it looks like you haven't been good. But really, he's been good for most of the time when he's pitched. Yeah, no, he's been he's been solid, but they just don't have those guys that you're gonna you know is gonna uh, be that ace and uh, just shut you down time after time and stop losing streaks, uh, you know, start winning streaks, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, there isn't. 
They don't. It's like I looked at this team coming in as a team that's going to win the division. They have a pitching staff that's good enough to win the division, but not really do any damage in the postseason. This is when you saw like, like Philadelphia last year was a team that, you know, their rotation wasn't great for the regular season, but you get in those short series, you throw Nola and you throw uh, Wheeler and those two guys can win you a series with how, how well they pitch. Yeah, just got to get hot. You know, like that year when the Nationals won the World Series, they just ran those starters, you know, out there. Even they uh, using the starters in relief. So that's that's what it takes come postseason time. Do you have a prediction for how things goes? Go with St. Louis. They're eight games back right now. Um, they've been a good second half team the last two years. Like they weren't in first place until I think they were four games out at the start of August last year. Um, and the Brewers traded Hater, and they sort of they really sank. And then St. Louis got hot. And a year before that, they won 17 straight when Schilt was still the manager. So my personal thought is, I think that they're going to heat up at some time. They will get it going, but they have given reason to be concerned. Yeah, it always a great second half team. You know, probably the team that beat is still, uh, you know. For St. Louis, you'd be Milwaukee. I mean, Milwaukee would have made the playoffs last year if not for the, uh, you know, the Josh Hader trade, you know, which backfired in their face. Uh, but yeah, it's probably going to become a two-team race between those two. You know, the Cubs and Pirates will, will be hanging around, uh, but I think in the end, it could not be two Milwaukee and St. Louis. Yeah, I think so too. I think Milwaukee. I I would favor them at this current point in time. They've looked really good, uh, and I do think. Last year, people were pretty high on the Brewers. I think I know some people had them in the World Series. Um, and then they it's almost like people may have been a little too high on them coming into last year. But this year, I feel like people were too low on them coming into the season. Yeah, I think just the way they crumbled uh, last yeah. year. And that's why they kind of stressed clubhouse chemistry this spring and got guys together and got a lot of nice young players coming in. Uh, and then I think they're finally over the, the hater thing. I mean, they just completely disrupted the clubhouse. And I think the front office learned their lesson. Like, okay, we're not going to do something like that again and realize that one guy can just deteriorate the whole the whole vibe here. So four teams that made the postseason last year that are 500 or worse at this current point in time, Seattle, Philly, San Diego, and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Are you concerned about any of these teams in particular? Well, Dodgers are still a very good team. Uh, I think they'll still be neck and neck with them and the Padres. Uh, Padres have so much talent, but something's not clicking there. Uh, the starting rotation is just okay. Uh, you know, like I said, Soto is underperformed again. So uh, thank God for them. They got Xander Bogarts. Bogarts has really saved them. He's been the one constant force in that in that lineup so i still think the Padres make the playoffs i'm not sure if they're going to win division uh dodgers we'll see uh you know use all the young guys we'll, we'll see how that turns out uh i think philadelphia bounces back you know david Bowski, they're in it you know they're in the same to win it so they trade have to trade some prospect at trade deadline to get some help they'll do so you know philly i was i had them missing the postseason coming into the year and through the first two weeks or so, I was feeling pretty good about that prediction. But they've actually played quite well lately. They've won a handful of series against some quality opponents, too. Um, I think Philly now back at 13 and 13, because they were, I mean, just what, a week ago, 10 days ago, they were, we were looking at a team. I think they were like five and 10 or something like that. They've, they've rattled off a nice little hot streak here and i i'm feeling better about the phillies uh but given how they've played and they're going to get help once harper returns yeah harper should be back in the next you know 10 days two weeks so that's going to be big help they can still put up so much runs that offense is so great you know got trey turner now and uh, nick castellanos has bounced back now he's the same yeah. player as he was in cincinnati yeah so all right, so Philly, we'll see. How about uh, San Diego and Seattle? What do you think about those two? Uh, Seattle still got talent. Uh, you know, they should make a run for it. 
they're not going to win the division. Houston's too good. Robbie Ray was a big injury. Uh, I know Kelnick has bounced back, uh, so he's performed well. But, yeah, Robbie Ray, uh, that's, a, that's a big blow. Uh, the Padres will make the playoffs. I don't know if they'll win the division or not. Uh, it's more of, a, more of a scuffle than they thought. Just that offense does not click. It just something's wrong. Something's wrong with that offense. And uh, you know, maybe you gotta drop Soto down to six or seven. You can't keep putting him number two or three. Uh, you know, not you're hitting 185, 190. I don't love their pitching staff either. I mean, their pitching staff, Blake Snell hasn't been great. Um, Michael Waka has not pitched well. There's some question marks with the depth of that staff. Darvish is a little up and down. He's been okay so far this year. What are your thoughts on the pitching staff they have? It's okay. I thought that was going to be their Achilles heel. Yeah. Uh, nobody really jumped out at you as far as being that stud. I mean, Joe Musgrove's a you know solid pitcher. Uh, Darvish is you know very good. You know, Waka uh, pitched well last year for Boston, but obviously he was out there till spring training, and nobody you know wanted to sign him. Snell's been a very big disappointment for him. Uh, they do have some depth and guys like Ryan Weathers and that sort of thing. So we'll see what happens. But, yeah, and that, that pitching staff does not scare you. Ryan Weathers actually pitched very well in the rotation. And now with Musgrove returning, he's out of the rotation. So maybe we'll see him back in the rotation. But I thought I liked what I saw out of him so far. Oh, yeah, we'll see him, definitely see him back. He's going to have room. Uh, you know, remember uh, – Seth Lugo has never pitched more than 80 innings. So at some point, he's not going to be a starter in the entire season. Got to shift him back in the bullpen. And they got Nick Martinez, too. So they got depth, but just not the uh, yeah. area one one two. Maybe we'll see Cole Hamels later this summer. <laughs> yeah. But they got depth. The Weathers has pitched well. Nick Martinez has pitched well. So I don't think a, uh, yeah, they, they got the starters, but they just don't have those stud starters. All right, so then Baltimore has played extremely well, 17-8, and eight, and they were a team last year that came pretty close to making the postseason for the first time in a handful of years, and now they currently have the second-best record in the American League. Because the Rays have been so great in that division, the Rays have a three-and-a-half game lead, and the Rays have gotten a lot of the attention and discussions I feel like I haven't heard people talk about Baltimore all that much. Are you buying into Baltimore? Yeah, I thought they might have to take a step back. Usually we see a team jump up that big. They take a step back the next year, a little bit like Detroit a couple of years ago. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, they're, they're legit. Uh, the AL East is a fat, fascinating race because uh, you got, you know, someone's going to get left behind there. You know, maybe, maybe it's the Yankees. Uh, but, yeah, with Rushman and the way they're playing, uh, running, stealing bases like you know nobody else. Uh, fun team to watch. So really fun team. I, I buy into Baltimore. Yeah, I, I thought the reason why I was a little hesitant with them was just the pitching staff. That was just one thought I had was pitching, but they've looked great so far this year. I think they're legit too. Yeah, it should be fun. I mean, they uh, you know Tampa's got the best talent overall talent once again. Uh, Blue Jays are right there. Then it might be the, maybe the Yankees versus Baltimore for that final wild card spot. Minnesota Twins picked up their first series win against the New York Yankees since 2001. I was seven years old at the time. <laughs> I think Volpe was six days old. <laughs> so that's a that's an. Story is that indicative of anything for the Twins or the Yankees? Well, if they play the playoffs, they'll hope they've still lost what 16 straight postseason games, which is unbelievable. I mean, that's hard to do. Uh, the Yankees are responsible for most of those. So, if they play the uh, twin, play, the Twins play the Yankees in the postseason, at least that'll be in the back of their mind like, okay, we can, we can do this, we can actually beat these guys. You know, what's funny is I think since the last time. The Twins haven't won it. The Twins, did they win a playoff series in 2020? I can't remember. I think they lost. Oh, no, they haven't. They've lost 16 straight playoff games. Yeah. So the Twins, since the last time they won a playoff series, all four teams, all four other teams in the American League Central have gone to the World Series. 
Yeah, man, not, not a stat. playoff series, playoff game. That's some. That's unbelievable. Yeah, a game. Yeah, they, yeah. It might be nineteen. I think it's sixteen. But no, they haven't won a playoff game. Yeah, I want to say maybe what was the last time? Maybe two thousand two or something. But yeah, yeah. They de- didn't they beat the A's in either a one or a two? I think it was a two. They beat the oh, A's. Two. Yeah, then the guys so that was like, but hey, the A's don't win playoff series either. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's just a game. I mean, that's like I said, that's hard to do, let alone a series. But yeah, just a game. Yeah. <laughs> Is this A's team like going to be a historically terrible team? It's a better story if it is. I remember covering the uh, being around the Tigers there. What was it, 2003 when they lost 119? It's like if you're gonna be bad, you must be historically bad. So you can have to be uh, remembered. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they got a chance to set the all-time record. I mean, that's just dreadful. Uh, they're not just—they're not just losing games. They're getting, you know, humiliated. How about the Texas Rangers? You buy any stock? I mean, up until this week, they started out fourteen and seven, but they just got swept by Cincinnati Reds. They've lost four straight. Is uh, is their record starting to catch up with them, or do you think Texas is going to be hanging in there all season? I don't think they're going to hang around Houston. I think they're going to hang around the wild card race. Uh, I think they're a lot like the Angels, 81-85 win team, that sort of thing. I, I don't see them competing for the division title. I don't see it. Well, the fact that those two teams are teams that we're looking at as sort of mid-level teams that could win 80 games, 85 games, maybe get in the wild card, like that, that makes that division fun, though, when you have four teams that are going to give you a competitive game on any given day. Yeah, it does. Uh, like I said, I mean, Houston's still the Fossa division, and they're doing all this, you know, without uh, Jose Altuve. Brantley's been out as well. So when Altuve comes back, you know, but that team should be loaded. Yeah, uh, Mauricio Dubon. He's the guy who's been playing second base for them, right? Yeah, he's, he uh, stepped up. He was kind of like a highly rated prospect, never did anything. Now he has opportunity. So, yeah, I would think of a, a kid like this, move him around the infield. So, well, too, he comes back, you know, let him play different positions. Uh, he's certainly going to be a, uh, you know, he's certainly proven to be uh, a solid major league player. He's been very good. So, all right, let's see. Is there anything else from this past week in baseball that we should be discussing, Bob? Anything on your mind? No, I think we've about covered it. Thanks, Jack. Yeah, um, what's what are you watching this weekend? Are you going anywhere? No, not going anywhere. So, uh, yeah, it'd be fun to watch the, uh, the the two game series in Mexico with San San Diego and San Francisco. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe that wake up that offense. But it's unbelievable. The Padres, I think, they've been shut out five times already. But 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 an offense outloaded to be shut down like that is mind boggling. So probably keep my eye more on that. Just, okay, now you're in the high altitude. Let's see if that wakes up the <laughs> offense. Yeah, it's I can't figure that team out. It's It's been strange. Hey, you know what? One, one other team I think has been kind of interesting, just to keep an eye on here. You mentioned Detroit. Detroit's actually played okay. Last year, they were really, really bad. I think a lot of people expected them to be really, really bad. They got off to a bad start, but... Um, Compared to where they were, I mean, they're actually above the White Sox in that AL Central. Well, that's not saying much. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't think they're a good team. I mean, they're a team, like I said, two years ago, they jumped up and people get excited. Oh, look what job A.J. Hinch is doing. And now it's been a disaster. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens in the offseason, what moves they make. I mean, Torkelson hasn't stepped up. Riley Green has struggled. You know, Baez has been a nightmare. So uh, I, I I don't see them as a 500 team. I really don't. Oh no, me neither. I just I was just noticing that they aren't horrible the way that they were like a <laughs> like they're not looking like a 100 loss team. The other team that I think has looked kind of like one team I I have been slightly impressed by that I think is kind of a fun watch that's not going to win a lot of games this year is the Washington Nationals. The Nationals have a very talented lineup of guys that are they have not hit their peak yet but there are a number of guys on that team that have the potential to be star players um and they're again they're a team that i think some people thought could lose 100 they're 9 and 15 they took a series from uh 
And they, I don't know if they took the series, but they played well against the Guardians. Um, now, granted, Guardians aren't playing well, but uh, Nationals, in terms of a team that's not, they're probably going to finish the last place in that division. But I think they've been fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, they'll definitely finish last place. Yeah, they just beat the Mets, what, two or three in New York. Yeah. And uh, they played, uh, yeah, they played better than people thought, uh, but I thought. I still think, you know, we'll see. You have to lose 90 games or 100 games. Uh, you know, middle middle of a massive rebuild, you know. Too bad, you know, they're stuck with that uh, Strasburg contract. Uh, you know, at least they're not stuck with the Rondon contract. But, yeah, the <laughs> Strasburg contract really, really hurts them. Uh, so we'll see. You're in a tough division, too. So probably still years away from contending. All right. Here's my last one for you. We talk about some of these teams that are not playing well. Who are going to be the top six teams in the lottery next year with the highest lottery odds? <laughs> well, I mean, you still got uh, A's, obvious A's and Royals. Yep, staying out way by themselves. Uh, <laughs> Nationals will still be, you know, in that in that mix as well. Reds will be in that mix. Uh, they'll be in the you know bottom six teams. Those those four teams for sure, you know, jump out. Uh, we'll see what happens with the. Uh, a team like the uh, Marlins. Uh, but, yeah, I think those four, we'll see who the other two are. Maybe the Rockies. Like the yeah, Rockies. five, yeah, five. Yeah, I about Put the Rockies in there. And then, I mean, given how things are going right now, the White Sox are on that kind of trajectory. Yeah, it could be White Sox, could be Detroit, could be a, a, a number of teams there. It could be a, a, a Miami. Uh, but, yeah, but, yeah, throwing the Rockies. Uh, yeah, five teams for sure. All right, he's Bob Nightingale. He writes at USA Today. You can follow him on Twitter at B Nightingale. Bob, always a blast having you on and talking with you. And uh, is there anything else you'd like to plug or promote? People check out your work over at USA Today. Yeah, thanks so much, Jack. No, I just said uh, all my stuff's on uh, usatoday.com or I'll tweet out tweet out my stories, obviously, on, on, at B Nightingale on Twitter. But uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me, Jack. Thanks for being here, Bob. Always appreciate it. We'll do it again probably in a month or two. All right. Sounds great. Take care. That concludes today's episode with the great legendary Bob Nightingale. And I touched on it briefly. I want to I reiterate it. This guy is a tr remarkable human being. People probably only know him from Twitter or they see him reporting on stuff, but over the past year, he's really taken me under his wing and taught me a lot about this industry, helped me make some great connections while I was out at spring training, got to kind of observe him a little bit and spend a lot of time with him. Great guy who's, been, who's um, anytime I got a question about work or baseball or whatever, just he's always just a text away. So um, I just wanted to once again say thanks to him for not only coming on the show because I'm sure we'll be having him again in a month or so. Um, he likes coming on here and he likes talking with me, um, interacting with the viewers here on the Jack Vita show. But he is a great guy and he also, like I said, has provided a lot of help and been a great resource for me as I'm just in the early stages of my career here. So thank you. Bob for joining us today. Hopefully you guys all enjoyed it. Thank you to the, to you, the listeners for tuning in. So I've got another episode coming out next week, the first week of May. I'm going to speak with longtime Kansas city sports radio. Great. And in addition to that, she won survivor Guatemala competed on survivor winners at war and she's had a really awesome life. She married a, a her husband is Casey Wiegman, who is an NFL Pro Bowl center. He had a nice long career and she hosted, a, she was on a show on ESPN back in 2006. So she's had a, a really an amazing career, been involved in a lot of interesting stuff and is a, a great person. Uh, Danny Boatwright is going to join me next week and we'll talk some sports, probably talk a little bit about the NFL draft, talk some baseball. We'll also talk about her time on survivor. We're going to talk about um, her kind of career and some of the stuff she's done in life. And it's going to be a fun conversation. It might be a long one. It might be a couple hours. So 
we'll see. Maybe we'll break it up into one part or two part, or maybe I'll just put it all out there. But you won't want to miss that. So make sure that you catch it by subscribing to the Jack Vita Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Follow along and then follow me on social media at Jack Vita Show. All right, we'll be back next week with Danny Boatwright. Until then, I'm Jack Vita, bringing the dance to lobsters. <laughs>